I think you need to sing Fleet Foxes. I don't know any Fleet Foxes. Yes, you do. We all do. I was humble in the eye, was humble You have to do the harmony, okay? You ready? I can't sing harmony. I can just sing what I just sang. I was tumble. Is it tumbling or following? I don't know. I think it's following. Okay. I was following the eye, was following the eye, I was following the eye, was following the eye, was following the eye, was following We tried our best. I know the actual words. I just am a little too drunk right now to remember that. Good evening. Oh, yeah. It is a very dark and stormy night, actually. Yes. Yeah, we should be drinking dark and stormies tonight. Yeah, um, but this is still good. I love old fashions. And to me, they are almost smokier than the feeling that a dark and stormy should give you. Right. Let this be a indication to you, dear listeners. That we are not liars. <laughs> we could have we could have been drinking anything and said and that the, it was... Yes, this is quite delicious. But we're not. We're <laughs> drinking old fashions tonight. Mine's in a mug. Yes, we only have one lowball glass, which I am using. Yeah, but I like mine in a mug because it has a handle. Daniel, tell me about this drink that you have concocted, which also I should say, I know I've drinking... Ooh, I know I've drunk <laughs> a lot of gin and tonics on this podcast, um, and that is certainly one of my favorite go-tos, but my favorite drink is an old-fashioned. Yes, yeah, so an old-fashioned is, is, is probably the classic American cocktail. It is very simple, like a lot of the drinks that we highlight on this show. It consists of ostensibly three parts. You have uh, sugar in the form of usually a brown sugar cube. That would be the most sort of traditional classic way to make it. A lot of bars now you'll go to, they'll use a sugar syrup because it dissolves more easily. But that is not the traditional way to make an old fashioned. So you have three ingredients. You have a brown sugar cube, you have bitters, and you have bourbon whiskey usually. So bitters is a little bit of a confusing ingredient because yeah, I, I think... tasted it and it didn't taste as like accurate as I thought it would. Right. I mean... From the name, you would think that it would taste horrible. It mm -hmm. it doesn't taste great on its own. I will say that. I don't think you want to do a shot of bitters. Oh. But bitters is basically aromatics, which are basically flavor compounds. That's basically what we're talking about. So the aromatics, you might say, come from Flavortown? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a way, bitters is like the ticket to alcohol Flavortown. Uh, one, um, you would say... Um, Tom Collins is another example. Um, so bitters is the sort of flavoring component of aromatic, of many aromatic drinks, not all. Um, and so basically what it is, is you, you, you distill, so you, you basically mix with water a bunch of flavorful ingredients. Yeah. Things like orange peel, clove, mm. cinnamon, those types of things. Mm -hmm. They're not like sweet on their own. Right. But they like enhance or build the body yeah. of the drink. And then you put a couple dashes in. You do what's called muddling of your sugar, sugar cube. You crush it up into a, into a, like a slurry. With the bitters. Yes. A slurry. And then you throw some bourbon in there and you garnish with an orange peel. Try not to hurt yourself while cutting off the orange peel. I recently did that. Yeah. It was very unpleasant. It was a fun trip to the ER during Corona. Don't do that. <laughs> I I personally think that a knife is a way better way to peel an orange than a peeler. That's all I'm going to say about that. That is an old-fashioned. It's a very classic drink. It's a little bit sweet. You get this little sweetness from the bourbon, some sugar. You get 
the little notes of orange peel from the bitters and things like that. So and from the orange peel. Yeah, it's really tasty. It's a good... It's good, a good sipper. Yeah. I will say it's probably not the drink that you want to order at a crowded bar. No, because the bartender's going to look at you and be like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a high labor investment drink. Right. As opposed um, to, like, if I just, like, can I have a and t They're like, here's the G, here's the T. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So tonight... We are being old-fashioned. I hope that our case tonight is old-fashioned. It is. It is. Oh, good. Excellent. <laughs> it is. And Very I should good. say, so remember last time when we, I was going to say filmed, <laughs> when we recorded uh-huh. um, during reading period and you were doing yes. you were doing the rhetoric case mm-hmm. about the Oxford comma. Yes. Um, and I sounded like a dead person. A shell. A shell of a being. I am in reading period now. Yes. Um. So I just had my last day of 1L um, Ooh, yesterday. Ooh, cheers to that. Oh, my God. You finished your first year of law school. Congratulations. Almost. I have you. to take finals, which is like the most important part of every class. You finished your first year of classes. Yeah. And like I've been waiting for this day since October. It's not that I like didn't like wholly hated 1L. I just don't really know a whole bunch of people that love 1L. Yeah, I would um, think Especially that. if they're two or three Ls that have experienced life beyond it. Right. <laughs> um, so I was really looking forward to not being a 1L yeah, anymore. You made it. I did. And um, so I have found a really fun case. I'm so excited. It is a property case. So, okay. you know, we're going this little cycle here. Right. And this is, you know, just how we did the hairy hand case in contracts. Mm-hmm. And we did Garrett v. Daly in torts. And we did U.S. v. Carroll towing in torts. Mm-hmm. This is one of the famous property cases. It's called Pearson v. Post, also known as the famous Fox case. The famous Fox. This is why we were singing very badly Fleet, Fleet Foxes. Foxes. <laughs> Yes. The only song I know by the them. The famous Fox Cave. Yeah. So if you had to guess, what time period do you think this comes from? It's in the United States, so it's posted. I don't know, but all I can think about right now is what does the fox say? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Wow. That's all I can think what about. What the fox say? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, so back to my question. Yes. What era do you think this is in? It's in the United States. So post-revolution. I would say pre-Civil War. Yes. Because I'm assuming that if we're talking about foxes, we're probably talking about fox hunting. Oh, on the nose. And fox hunting is a tradition that dates back to, I think, Victorian England. Yeah, it's English. Um, You would not expect it to last long beyond the end of the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Well, also, it's like freaking vicious. Like Yes. Like fox well, hunting. Americans, Americans have never cared for cared about being vicious, Megan. That's Americans true. Are I just mean like people. I think it went out of style in England at the same time it did in the United States. Yeah. Oh, so interesting, Daniel. I have learned some things about fox hunting. Tell me. It actually has not been outlawed until the 21st century. Oh wow! <laughs> and it's actually not outlawed in the United States. Um, so fox hunting is an activity involving the tracking, chase, and if caught, the killing of a fox, yes. traditionally a red fox, by trained foxhounds or other scent hounds. So any hound, bloodhound. Just this is just like the Disney classic animated movie, The Fox and the Hound. And so the hounds are followed by a group of unarmed followers led by a master of foxhounds. Yes. Who follow the hounds on foot or on horseback. 
So it's a formalized activity originating in England in the 16th century. Uh-huh. Not Eliz- Victorian. Elizabethan. Ah. Um, in a form very similar to that practiced until February 2005. Wow. When a law banning the activity in England and Wales came into force. Whoa. A ban on hunting in Scotland had been passed in 2002, but it continues to be legal in Northern Ireland and several other countries, including mm. the Commonwealth, so Australia and Canada, and then also France, Ireland, and the United States. It's very controversial. So this okay. case is about fox hunting. So just know that. Daniel, have you ever seen a fox? Yes, I have seen a fox. I have seen. Now get ready for this. Um, if you have young children in the car, perhaps turn this off for a moment. I have seen not just one fox. Oh, no. But two foxes <gasps> in my own backyard. Oh. Doing it. Fucking. Mating. Wow. Um, they were like, you know what? This enclosed backyard space seems the safest right. to do I this. don't know how they got into the backyard. We have a pretty good fence. No, but I remember earlier this year when I was at your house, I saw a fox leaving your yard. Yes. It threw this like, so the back corner has some oh. sort of like... Yeah, opening in, in the fence or something. Yeah, but so so there were there were two foxes doing it in our backyard. How old were you when you saw that? I was in high school. I think. Oh, so you uh, you weren't like um like not blinded by it. What am I trying to no, say? scarred? I mean, you weren't was, scarred. It was it was definitely curious. <laughs> I you, weren't I, you know, I looked into the yard and I said, oh. <laughs> There are two foxes. Doing it. What's what's going on there? Oh, oh, I see. Oh, they're oh. So I have seen foxes before. Okay. So this case, Pearson v. Post, comes from New York in 1805. Okay. So I was right on. Good guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this whole case basically circles around this one question. How do you assert ownership over a wild animal? Pretty sure that wild is antithetical to being owned. Maybe philosophically, but legally, <laughs> legally, it's not. I don't know. I, right now, I have Tiger King on my mind. So, like, if you were to own tigers, are they considered yeah, I mean, wild animals? The thing about Tiger King is that those tigers win captivity. That's not a wild animal. I think by definition, to me, a wild animal means like a deer that is in the woods. I think differently. I think that if you are an animal that is tameable, whatever that definition is, you are not, you're a domestic animal. You're not a wild animal. I think if you're a deer and you are in, in a, like an enclosure, you're still a wild, like the, the nature of it within you is still the same. So like if I capture a fox, it's still a wild animal because foxes are not domesticatable. So let me set the scene. Set the scene for us. Okay, we are in rural New York. Yeah. And Post, he's the plaintiff in the case. Post, is he dumb as a Post? <laughs> in this case? I don't, no, he's not. Nobody's really dumb in this case, but there is kind of an asshole in this okay, case. Okay, all right. Post. He is the hunter chasing. He's in hot pursuit of a fox. Okay. Hot pursuit is like an actual legal term, <laughs> turns out. Oh, really? Yeah, it means like you are like the, you are like fresh or hot pursuit is like you immediately take upon it to pursue the animal. It's not like you see it and then like you go meander off then decide later to go back and like try and find it. Like you are in it freshly... Whatever, hot pursuit. You saw it and you took off. And you're like, here we go. And he's got his dogs. So okay. he's fox hunting. Still legal in the United States. Blows my fucking mind. That's just sad. So Pearson is the defendant. He's walking home one day, same day, uh-huh. that Post is chasing this fox. Okay. And he sees that Post is chasing the fox. Sees that the fox like runs into these bushes, maybe near a path or something. Uh-huh. And he's like, huh, I'm going to take that fox. 
So he goes over. I don't know how he does this. How do you, with your bare hands, sneak up on a fox? He kills the fox. So you have a gun? Like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you're in the wilderness of upstate New York in 1805, you probably carry around a knife with you. Yeah, but like in order to like stab the fox, you have to have like snuck up on the fox. I mean, he might have been like an experienced trapper or like a tracker. That, That wouldn't have been unsurprising for the time period. So he he killed it and then he kept the the carcass. Right. And so Post the the hunting chaser is like, bah, that's my fox. I was chasing him. No, it's not. And then Pearson was like, it's a free country, bitch. No, he he did say, we're not on your land. This is not your fox. And Correct. Just and just because you're chasing it doesn't mean it's yours. Right. So um, okay, so we have the one guy who's on the horseback Post. who's chasing this fox who believes it to be his fox even though he's off his own property. Mm-hmm. Purely, it seems, for the reason that he is chasing it. Right. And we have this other guy who finds a wild fox and is like, that's a nice fox. I'm going to take that fox. But it's not that he finds it. He sees that Post is chasing it. Right. And then is like, now I'm going to The fox being chased by Post comes into his path. No, he sees, like, the, the thing is, is like, the reason why he's a dick is because, even though I don't agree with fox hunting, he sees... That this guy's chasing it, and instead of being like, oh, he's hiding in here, he's like, no, this is mine now. You know, like, it's like someone, like, benefiting off the fruits of somebody else's labor. Yeah, it happens all the time. Right. I have no sympathy for this post guy. So, uh, <laughs> so the question to the, the the court was, like, I was chasing this fox. This fox would not have been killed if I had not been chasing him. Like, Pearson would have taken it. So and this is my fox and I should be compensated for loss of my fox. The fact that this went to court is fucking mind boggling. Just I mean, think about that. This for is a America 1805. Like this, this is quintessential. Like this post was so butthurt by Pearson, like taking this fox. Yes. That he's like, I'm going to sue you, sir. Yeah. And he did. And he did. Okay, so how'd that go for him? Okay, so the justice that wrote, or the judge that wrote the majority opinion um, was Judge Daniel Tompkins, who would later become the uh, vice president of the United States. Oh, um, who's he vice president to? Daniel D. Tompkins was an American politician. He was the fourth governor of New York and the sixth vice president of the United States. Um, and he was vice president between 1817 and 1825. Under... Uh, James Monroe. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. This is the guy. So he said he rules... Who do you think he rules for? I think he rules for post, which is unfortunate. The chaser? Yeah. No. Oh, thank God. He rules for Pearson. He says that pursuit is not enough. Discovery of the object. You know, we're under this. This is like one of the first cases I read. And we're talking about how do you get acquisition? Acquisition is like ownership of a thing. Oh. And, you know, are you acquiring? Oh, so that's a whole concept in property law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-oh. Like, it's literally the finder's keeper's law. Whoa. Yeah, that's like a, it's a whole thing. And so this is one of the questions under under that concept is like, is discovery of something enough? If you're talking about land, like, you know, we talk about conquest and discovery. We talked about the conquerors and there are these different theories of like yeah. how the land becomes there. Do you have to plant a flag there? Do you have to start a government there? Do you have to like overthrow the people? What's the deal? Finders keepers in that way. But when it comes to like personal property or, you know, just a more developed theory of property, uh-huh. um, does it work if you are just discover it? You know, just uh-huh. discovering something doesn't mean that you have physically captured it. Right. Which is like You've the whole, come upon it. The full, you, yeah. yeah. So he says, chasing it's not enough. 
discovering the fox was not enough. If a wild animal, also known in Latin as ferre nature, oh. um, is on your land, your own land, right. you have ownership per the rule of ratione soli, or ratione soli, however Aww. you want to pronounce it. That's Latin. It literally means according to the soil. So oh, it's it's okay. like it's like a idea that like it's a justification for assigning property rights. Right. So that which is on your soil is yours. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. Okay. Um otherwise, the only way that you can like take an animal to be your own, that's a wild animal. Right. You have to deprive that animal of its natural liberty by corporal control. Right. So you have to control their body. You have to capture it. Right. So you can do that in a couple ways. He's like, you can trap them, you can fence them in, you can mortally injure them in fresh pursuit. Right. So there's this other famous case that's like about whales and whaling. Like you can't like capture a whale, but you can right. mortally injure it and then like drag it back or so, wait for it to wash up. So in this situation where he's chasing this fox, there is a possible scenario in which like he shoots the fox in the chest and the fox is like in the process of dying. Mm -hmm. But while it is dying, it makes its way off his land. It is his because he has mortally injured it. Yeah. And he was in fresh pursuit. And that would be true even if he wasn't on his land. Like these mm -hmm. are all like setting traps, fences, injuring mortally, and also quote unquote man you capture. So like literally grabbing it with your body. That can happen outside your property. I see. Okay. So this so if he had shot and killed the fox or it shot and mortally wounded the fox off his property. Right. I'm pretty sure what this justice is saying is like, if Pearson had then taken the mortally wounded fox, right. then it would be you like- You can't take someone else's hunt, basically. Right, right. But if the hunt is still like alive and fine, right. then, okay. then you can't. Interesting. Um, so Post didn't have any corporal control over the fox because yes, he was just very, chasing it. Very clearly. And in fact, Pearson did. Yeah. Pearson was like, I'll fucking kill it. Here we go. And so the reason why the court rules against- post mm -hmm. is because the idea of like chase as a claim to property is it's just too like loose uh -huh. because at what point do you start chasing something and stop chasing something and at, at what point if you and someone else are both chasing mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. who gets the rights right you know so there's this whole like like it's too attenuated it's just too difficult to like pin down it's too ambiguous uh -huh. so they want to draw draw like a hard and fast rule here. right of course. And this really goes against custom. So Post's argument uh -huh. is like the custom of this like land, of this place that we're in, right. is that if you're the hunter and you are chasing an animal, nobody else fucks with that. Oh. That's like how you and I understand each other living in this context. Which is probably still true today. I don't know a lot about the hunting world. Yeah. Um, if you do, let us know if that is like a concept that exists still today. That, you know, you if someone is like actively pursuing a hunt, sure. you know, is it shitty to intercede? It's, I mean, it's sort of like, this is a weird analogy, but like say that, you know, you're at an auction and two people are in a bidding war for the same item. Mm -hmm. Like that's sort of what we're dealing with is yeah. two people are pursuing the same item. Just one of them happened to be pursuing it from an earlier point in time. But you don't get the item because you bid first. Yeah. You get the item because you bid the most because you captured it with your money. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's a, that's a really good analogy. So, you know, Post is like, 
the law should reflect custom. And for the large portion of property law, that's true. Uh You know, a lot of property law is reflective of custom, whether or not that be modern. A lot of common law is is reflective of custom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just law in general, you hope would be reflective of custom. Sometimes it's a good idea for it not to be, um, to protect the interests of individuals and targeted groups. But by and large, law was created to formalize rules of order, which were largely born out of like communal customs. so that was like kind of one of the bigger arguments that the you know majority had to battle against. And, and they were like, no, we, we need to have a hard rule here. And the alternative of just saying that chasing something is ownership is not good enough because it's not going to be clear if we right. are presented with this case. And it, will, and it will actually result in more disputes. Yeah, Whereas exactly. this will settle the dispute before it even Before it even gets to our door. Yeah. yeah. So we do have a pretty strong dissenting opinion here. Oh, interesting. And this is from Judge Livingston, who was later a Supreme Court Associate Justice. Okay. Um, so his dissent was in post favor. And he was like, this should be sportsman arbitration. This shouldn't even be before us. We should oh. have like an arbitral tribunal that is just for, you know, these specific kind of activities that do depend a lot on custom and that already have their own kind of like, right. whether they be like written and formalized or not, rules of the hunt. And he also said something I thought was interesting. The size of the hunting dog matters. What? Because this, he's he's looking at it. And maybe he was like a hunter himself. He must himself. have been a hunter, yeah. Yeah, or just like a country guy. If the dog that was chasing it, like, just think about it logistically. If the dog is big enough, yeah. it was going to become Post's fox anyways. Like, if Pearson hadn't interfered, yeah. it didn't matter that Post was only chasing him at, at that moment. The dog was going to win at the end. So Pearson interfered in, like, what was already a done but, deal. But but isn't that, a, like, a, like, assuming a lot? Like, if you have a bloodhound, which is a big dog, mm-hmm. and a sheep dog, mm-hmm. which is a much smaller dog... Mm-hmm. According to Livingston's analysis, you would say that the bloodhound is more likely to ensure a catch of this fox than a sheepdog, when really a sheepdog is a much faster dog. I just think that's a bad analysis. That's all. Well, that's why he's in the descent. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Um, and he really harps that public, there are public policy concerns here. The law should not interfere with current custom. You don't always need to draw a hard and fast rule to, you know, find justice, which... I guess I could agree with sometimes, but it's really difficult when you don't have those hard rules right. to avoid over-trafficking the courts. And also, like, I feel like knowing what's right and what's wrong is usually a pretty cut-and-dry situation. Yeah, and also, I mean, I'll say, I think if individual states wanted to have their own hunting arbitration committees or something, that's all well and good, but they don't have one. As far as we're aware, it sounds like from Livingston's argument that he's that what he's really saying is we should establish this thing and use it. You know, we should we should create a hunting arbitration council. (laughs) But if your entire argument is we should create something that we don't have, which you don't have the power to do as the judicial branch, Mm -hmm. you don't have the power to establish committees, tribunals, things of that nature. Right then your your argument is moot like that like his argument does not solve the question that is before them right his argument basically his argument was we need to be following custom and if we're going to follow custom here's my recommendation on how we would do that right and uh, yeah it's uh, i mean but it really does beg the question on like who is defining what custom is yeah and i think i think the answer to that uh, for me is that it's hard for courts to do that and it would have been harder then 
So uh, yeah, I just I don't I don't really think that that Livingston's argument that we should do things according to custom when the custom is to have a very am- legally ambiguous situation. Well, the thing is, you don't just like create law based just on custom. Like you also you use basic notions of fairness, right? And you use morality, and you use you know interests of you know public good versus individual rights. Like right. there's a lot of considerations, and there are so many like the balancing test. Like there's so many different tests to use that this is just one element, right? And Livingston is saying, yeah, this one element should govern this particular area, and I can see why because it only has to do with hunters' rights, but. I can also see a world in which if we had Livingston's rule as the majority, you would want to apply that as like an advocate or a lawyer for a a similar case that doesn't have to do with hunting. Right. You would want to take that rule and start broadening. Like you just don't know like how the dominoes are going to go. Right. But I think also, I mean, really this, this goes beyond just pure notions of who gets to decide custom. Because as we mentioned last time, slippery slope is is a possibility here Mm -hmm. you know you could as part of a hunt you know chase some deer onto someone's property and that person is a farmer and doesn't want deer on their property and shoots the deer because the deer is starting to eat his tomato plants or something then all kinds of issues arise if the law is settled to be well that was that hunter's deer Mm-hmm. who chased it yeah. that belonged to that so i i yeah i just i think that it's a little bit it's a little bit self-centered on the hunters you know yeah so that's pearson v post okay that is the famous fox case famous fox and it is all about you know acquisition by so bad for that fox i know he really is the loser ultimately yeah not pearson and not post the fox yeah but you know who weren't the losers who the two justices that's true. And they did very well for themselves. They did. Apparently, the um, Livingston was like a Revolutionary War hero. Oh. I would not be surprised if Tompkins was as well. Mm. Uh, I don't know, but. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, cool. that's uh, our episode. And I am about to start my finals. My first one is uh, five days from today. And it is property. So, I'm doing a lot of property Good. review. And our next episode will be constitutional law. Mm-hmm. We'll do another one. Daniel, what can't you do according to case law? You can't own a fox just because you chased it. Yes, that's right. That is just, that is an absurd proposition. Mm-hmm. Here, let me follow this guy's fancy car down the road. It's mine now. <laughs> I own the car because I chased it down the road. That's yes. just absurd. Yes. You can't do that. Yes, that's right. And you can't, well, I guess you can hunt foxes, but please don't hunt foxes. There's no need. I I really wanted to say that you can't hunt foxes, but I suppose you can, but please don't. Yeah. It's very... You can't in the United Kingdom, um, but... Right, but for us as Americans... Yeah, you can. Please don't do that. Just don't. Leave the foxes be so that they can wander into your backyard and mate together. Uh, <laughs> and let some teenager have a blissful moment right. of nature education. You know, you just... You need to be exposed to those sorts of things as a person. Yeah, exposed. You need to understand that the animal world is very natural, and and you're a part of it. Yes, and you may bear witness, and that is okay. And you should. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Okay. Well, if you enjoyed this episode. 
please rate and review us on your podcast app. It is very, very helpful. It is. And if you happen to know anything about fox hunting or hunting in general with the law, or just want to say, hey, uh, drop us a line at drunklawschoolpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, you can email us. We would love to share the recipe for an old-fashioned with mm-hmm. you via email or on our Instagram page. You can find <laughs> us at Drunk Law School. Um, perhaps if you support our podcast, I will send you a personalized video teaching you how to make uh, an old-fashioned. Or how to muddle. Like, what is muddling and what do you need to do that? You know? The answer is a muddler. Amazing. So you can see Daniel muddle away and make a slurry if you're interested. I know. It's such a nice word, isn't (laughs) it? It is. Uh, It kind of reminds me of that song from the musical Oklahoma, Pretty Little Surrey with the Fringe on the top. mm, Yes. Surrey slurry. Yes. Please share us on social media if you think it was cool. Um, Or if you thought it was weird. Yes. Did I miss uh, anything? No, I think that's it. Well, here is your moment of zen. Signing off until next class of Drunk Law School. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Oh, did you hear that? Yes. Is that going to be the moment of zen? That was everyone's... That was was Megan's neck, everyone. (laughs) That... Wow. 